I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shots. Mighty Medvedev wins in Shanghai, Coco Goff captures her first WTA title in Linz, and Dan Evans is the new British number one. We are inching towards the end of the season with the penultimate Masters event in Shanghai having just taken place for the men, whilst the women have been taking in the delights of Tianjin and Linz in Austria. The race for the tour final spots in London and Shenzhen are hotting up. And Kim, I think it's safe to say we are on the home straight, aren't we, of this long tennis season? Yeah, I think we are, Joe. It's it's a weird time of the year, but I'm ready to talk about it with you for the next hour. I've got my fresh basil tea with me. And I think we should begin in Shanghai because we've had the ATP Masters this last week. And um, a very familiar figure, well, he's become a very familiar figure over the last two months or so. Uh, Daniil Medvedev has won the Shanghai Masters today, beating Sasha Zverev in straight sets, 6-4, 6-1 in 73 minutes. Um, it's Daniil Medvedev's second consecutive Masters title and his fourth title of the year. And he's now played in more finals than anyone else on the tour so far this season. It's, it's The craziness kind of keeps on continuing. I know. I I keep thinking back to like the US Open. We were just kind of talking about Medvedev. And be like, oh, he's played lots of tennis. He's going to be knackered at some <laughs> point. Uh, but here he is, sixth, sixth consecutive final. Um, it's just it's just mind blowing. I mean, he's the the form that he is in at the moment. Um, you know, he is playing some exceptional tennis, getting to getting to finals, and um, you know, coming up against. Zverev. I mean, I was surprised to be honest. Zverev got to the final, given you know his season. Yeah, but um, you know, it was it was almost like a, a breath of fresh air to kind of see a Masters final uh, not include any of the big three. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, Medvedev, he's reached the final of his last six tournaments. He's won three of them, so fifty percent kind of win loss record, I suppose. But since that U.S. Open final, you know, where he narrowly lost to Rafa, he's I think he hasn't lost a set or some ridiculous statistic. <laughs> so, I mean, it was only ever going to be him winning today, wasn't it? But I think, yeah, this tournament, you know, it's not just stands out, I guess, for Medvedev having claimed it, but it's, I guess, the ultimate kind of next-gen lineup. You know, if you look at the semifinals that we had in Shanghai, we had Zverev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini and Medvedev. And, you know, we all would say that they are the next gen, they're all under the age of 24. Um, you know, there was no Djokovic, no Federer. They both fell at the quarterfinal stage. Obviously, Rafa was not playing the tournament. So I think it's quite a significant tournament just because of that as well. 
Yeah, I think that was the first time in 20 years that all four players in the semi-finals were under 24. And I think, you know, I think for me, the most important you know fact about that is that, yes, they were there, but they also beat, um, you know, members of the big three en route. And we had some absolutely cracking, cracking matchups. Um, you know, Sissipas uh, defeated uh, Djokovic en route to his semi-finals. Zverev overcame, um, you know, his mentor from the Labour Cup. Uh, Roger Federer um, 6-3 in, in the third set and it just kind of you know it, it just kind of breathed new life I think into kind of Masters events you know not seeing um, you know members of the big three in the finals in, even in the semi-finals and you know kind of look, kind of gauging it on on Twitter I think you know there was this feeling of like oh this is this is actually really exciting you know we've got players who we you know we've been wanting to you know, we've been waiting for them, you know, to have their moment. And, you know, is, you know, Shanghai almost going to be looked back on, you know, Shanghai 2019 as this sort of watershed moment for, you know, the next gen stars coming out on the tour. Now, you know, I think Grand Slams is obviously a very different beast, but certainly on the tour and in a master's level, you know, this definitely feels like, you know, a big, a big moment. Yeah, I mean, if it was Grand Slam, of course, over five sets, these results may not have turned out the way they did. And I mean, I think for Zverev and Tsitsipas, you know, their form of late has not been great. So I think we weren't really expecting them to suddenly start playing well again. So it's really nice that they have done it. I mean, I think Tsitsipas, this was his first top 10 win since since May. Um, so, I mean, it's been a, a good few months where he hasn't really been performing at, at the level we expect of him. Um, and as for Zverev, of course, you know, he's been terrible for a while, hasn't he? I mean, I was not expecting him to beat Federer. Um, and actually, that was his first top 10 win of the whole season. So that just goes to show it, really. And, you know, he almost lost it, didn't he? Because he had five match points in the second set, dropped that. And we thought, oh, here we go again. He's going to... Federer is going to come back, but no, he he went on to you know eventually then reach the final. So, so yeah, it, it's great performances from them both. I mean, yes, I think it's a weird time of the season. I'm sure Federer and Djokovic probably weren't, <laughs> you know, I'm sure Shanghai wasn't. You know, it's not like the one tournament they want to win all year, is it? So, um, you know, there's that to, to take into consideration. But um, yeah, certainly, you know, great to see you know the next gen kind of coming through again you know we could we could say they kind of have broken through you know sits past earlier on in the year at the slams but um another fun fact though joel not just uh, about their age i like i like this uh, height related statistic i don't know where you found it but sitsipas is actually the shortest of all the semi-finalists and how tall is sitsipas any six guesses six foot six foot four i think is yeah, the uh height exactly and he's the shortest so i know it's not just the next gen it's the tall gen. The tall gen. Oh, wow. Great. great no stuff. Diego yeah, I, Schwartzman's here. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think what's really interesting, it's like, it's, it's a collective, it's a collective group. And I think that's what's so great is that they've come in this tournament. We've all seen them get to the semifinals. It's not just kind of, you know, one, you know, one of them doing it. It's, it's all of them doing it. And it's kind of like this, almost like a, a group effort and, you know, we saw as well, you know, as well as kind of talking about, you know, Medvedev, Sissipas and um, uh, Zverev, uh, Berrettini as well. I mean, he came through against, you know, Dominic Team. You know, there was certainly, it definitely had that feeling of kind of, you know, this is, 
you know, it feel like felt like an uprising, and an you know, uprising. We team... <laughs> well, I don't know. Okay, Do you maybe mean uprising the Joker or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I get what you mean though. Berrettini, you know, this was actually his first Masters semi, so he's backing up, you know, the semi of the U.S. Open, continuing that on the tour. And I think now, going sort of talking ahead, in, you know, going ahead in the season to their World Tour finals, um, I think Berrettini's now got the last qualification spot from his performance yeah. here, which I'm really yeah, so, pleased that he's going to be in London. I'm, I'm mm. really excited to see him. Yeah. So I think, I think there are, I think six have qualified already. Two are still up for grabs. And basically Zverev's obviously defending champion and, you know, his season, you know, it was wretched to the point that he, he might not have got the chance to, um, you know, defend his uh, crown, but um, this has put him right back into um, the, the qualification spots at number seven. I think, yes, Berrettini is number eight. He defeated Bautista Agut on the way. And I think that was kind of a pivotal uh, matchup because I think Bautista Agut is number nine. But Kim, as you said, it's all, it's still kind of all to play for in the sense that, you know, well, whether Rafa turns up to World Tour Finals is always well, a question we ask every year. So the alternate could come into the Yeah, play. you want to be in ninth <laughs> position just in case, because there's a good chance that Rafa's probably not going to play. I, d- I don't know, but, you know, just based on previous years. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting that the next gen have kind of performed out in Shanghai. Um, it's nice to, you know, have new people or they're not really new, I guess, anymore. But, you know, it's it's exciting that Medvedev is kind of carrying on. You know, he's sort of surprising us each week. And you think it's a bit like Andreescu, you know, when is he going to lose? When well, is yeah, his streak yeah, going to end? I, I agree. I do think it's like it's that um, it is getting to that sort of level of kind of who's when is Medvedev going to lose? Who is he going to lose to? Because I think, you know, going into the world tour finals i think yeah arguably he, he's, he's a favorite. favorite yeah you'd have to say <laughs> Which, that based on the last you know his performance going into it um unless he really does finally you know burn out for you know in london but well we'll see you know and i think some of some of our listeners have actually got in touch and said you know he's now becoming you know his form particularly on hard courts he's going to be a genuine contender for the australian open you know, looking a bit further forward to, you know, the start of next season. Um, because, yeah, he's just such a formidable and, and difficult player to play against. You know, I was reading, you know, Zverev after his, his match in, in Shanghai, you know, he said to him, he's just such a unique proposition to play against. And, you know, it might not look like that on TV, but he was essentially saying that, you know, he hits the ball so flat that it's hard for, you know, it, well, Zverev found it hard to basically be aggressive against him. And, you know, it, because he offers something different on court, people are just trying to have to, having to try and figure out how to how to beat him. And, and, and no one's come up with the answer yet. Well, exactly. He is mighty Medvedev indeed. Um, and we'll, we'll see how it carries on. I mean, <laughs> we've still got the Paris Masters, obviously World Tour Finals. Still a lot of tennis to be played in 2019 um but joel i think let's move on to some of the other action that's been happening well this week and today um another kind of fearless player i suppose out in Linz, uh, a certain coco goff has claimed her first wta title can you believe that i mean also as a lucky loser as, a, I just as a lucky loser that is unbelievable i don't think you know, I don't think Coco Goff in her you know wildest dreams would have thought, you know, after losing in in qualifying that she would have obviously ended up as Lynn's champion. I think 
uh, I think what happened was Sakari pulled out of the main draw and, and Goff literally got the call up with like a 20 minute notice notice. And she went on and defeated, I think three um, former or current top 10 players. I think um, in, in Ostapenko, obviously in the final Petkovic, I think in the semifinals and Kiki Burton's, which the, that Kiki Burton's result, I mean, Kiki Burton has been one of the form players, you know, mm. on the tour, on the women's tour this season. And that really kind of, I was like, oh, that really kind of um, it's interested me because, you know, we all know kind of Goff's potential. And, you know, I think, you know, the Grand Sams have you know made us alert to that. But, you know, these tournaments where, you know, she can play, you know, players, um, play, play these sorts of players. Yeah, she's doing some some damage and, you know, she's realizing this potential already at 15 years old. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's crazy. And that was her first top 10 win against Kiki Burton's. And she did that in straight sets as well. Um, but to, to really grab this opportunity, you know, last minute opportunity. Yes, yeah, Sakari pulls out in as a lucky loser. And to go all the way, you know, and win the, the tournament is just amazing. Um, she's going to become world number 71 as of, well, as of tomorrow, we're recording this um, on the Sunday night. So she's going to be, you know, automatically into the Australian Open main draw. She won't need a wild card. Um, yeah, I mean, she's the youngest champion on the WTA Tour since, I think, Nicole Vidasova in 2004. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it is a significant moment. And, you know, I'd never, never even heard of Coco Goff until, well the French Open, I think. So it's a bit like Andreescu, you know, she's been really one of the the breakouts of the season and it's nice that she's actually got a title. And of course, there's been a lot of talk about the rule that, you know, she can't play too many tournaments and how that's, is that fair? You know, is it kind of hindering her progress? But she's kind of proven that the tournaments that she has been able to play, she's really kind of making the most of them. And I, I wonder, and, I, you know, listeners get in touch if, you know, you have any opinions on this, but I actually think kind of, you know, the, the Capriati rule, I think it's almost helped her because, you know, she's had to, you know, she knows that she's got like, you know, a finite number of appearances that, you know, she can play with. And as a result of that, you know, she's focusing on those matches, you know, that much more because she knows that, you know, with these opportunities, she's, you know, she's got to make the most of them because, um, you know, she's only got, you know, a certain number of appearances that she she can play with, um, you know, and I think it's it's great that, you know, obviously she's, I think, you know, she is big news, you know, she will be big news in, you know, in the States, but kind of doing, you know, showing her ability on the courts in, in Europe, you know, she's going to become, you know, she's, she's just kind of showing off kind of her, you know, her skills to kind of a wider audience. And I think, you know, she's in, she was obviously in Linz this week and I think she's going to be in Luxembourg as well next week. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just great. And I think what I love most actually is that, her dad is her coach and, you know, that sort of family element to it is, is kind of great to see. And it's always kind of, you know, I think on the, on the TV, um, you know, in the final against Ostapenko, I think in the, in that final set, you know, um, Goff was five love up and, you know, she actually got a bit tight and, and Ostapenko brought it back to five, two and kind of Goff brought, um, you know, was speaking to her dad, you know, her coach being like, what do I do? And it was that sort of moment. It was kind of like, uh, I loved seeing a little bit of like the family, the family insight into, you know, how, um, you know, you get, you, how you get your kind of your daughter over, over the finish, over the finish line. Well, exactly. It's a bit like Osaka um, last week in Beijing. She brought her dad on, um, you know, and he was giving her 
motivational talk. So obviously a lot of the female players are, are coached by their dads and relatives. So yeah, it's, it's nice to see that. And it's good that we now have, you know, have the ability with the, the on-court coaching to kind of see that dynamic mm. at play. Um, but yeah, as you said, she's going to be in Luxembourg next week. I think Sharapova and Kerber have both pulled out of Luxembourg, which has meant that Coco Goff and also Katie McNally are in the main draw. Um, together, they actually reached the semis and the doubles in Lint. So I assume they'll be playing doubles again um, in Luxembourg. So, you know, to them together as a doubles partnership are, are being quite, you know, mm. have had some yep. really good results on the tour. So, yeah, all looking very um, positive and upwards for the Coco Golfs of the world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, big news coming out of Linz today. Um, let's just go back uh, a couple of things from last week. Uh, we didn't do a catch up last week. So let's just kind of go over Beijing. Beijing happened last week. We had a men's and a women's tournament out in Beijing. Dominic team won the men's event, uh, pretty straightforward. Obviously, he beat Andy Murray on the way. Andy Murray, yep. So that was kind of the main talking point, I suppose, was Andy Murray having, I guess, his best week on tour since coming back. Um, out in Tokyo, Novak Djokovic clinched the, t- clinched the title there. Very straightforward again. Um, but the be- the biggest talking point really to come out of the Asian swing last week was, well, Naomi Osaka won Beijing. She beat Ash Barty in the final. But we had, um, I think it was the quarterfinal, Osaka versus Andreescu. Yes. The whole world was talking about it. <laughs> first, ever, first ever meeting. And yes, this is a rivalry that I think a lot of people are invested in. And I'm glad that we're kind of alert and aware of this from like d- day one. Yeah. Because this was absolutely... I think this was one of the matches of the kind of the of the season. You know, obviously Andreescu on this kind of crazy, you know, seventeen match unbeaten streak. Um, you know, could Osaka um, dethrone or you know stop that streak? And yeah, it was just an epic match. Osaka came through in their first meeting five seven six four six three, and it was just kind of fantastic. And I hope that is a that is a rivalry that I think is we're going to see on the tour. And hopefully we're going to see in Grand Slams and Grand Slam finals in in years to come. Yeah, it seemed quite significant, didn't it? Like, I guess both of, well, everyone in the tennis community kind of thought, oh, you know, these are the two hot new players on the WTA Tour, you know, from the last kind of 12 months. And it just, their matchup just seems like it's going to be, yeah, one for the ages, hopefully. Um, And of course, Andreescu has finally lost a match. Osaka's kind of regained the form that she had Australian Open and before she seems in a much happier place so it's well it's going to look tasty for the rest of the year you know you've got the WTA finals in Shenzhen you know they could very well meet uh you know several times still in this in this season and beyond you know I I can't see this being like a you know a Serena Williams Sharapova rivalry where it's just kind of you know one-sided yeah, very not one-sided. really a rivalry yeah this feels this feels I mean to me this feels like this could be a the Fidal rivalry of the W you know of the WTA for the next for the next 10 years I, that's how good I I think they are mm. um and I think you know what kind of builds the intrigue around it is I just think they're just they're op- they're quite opposite in the way they kind of go about their business on a tennis court you know you see Andre Eskew, you know she she, you know, lets it, she lets it all out on court. You know, she's shouting. 
Um, she doesn't care who she's, you know, facing or, you know, on the other side of the net. She's a very kind of like a, you know, an extrovert, as you will. Whereas Osaka is a little, is a, obviously a lot more kind of an introvert and is more kind of, you know, with, you know, trying to keep it within herself, keep cool, keep calm. And you, she doesn't really kind of let out any sort of, you know, her, she doesn't let out her emotions as much as, you know, some other players. And, you know, I think that sort of contrast, um, you know, has that, it gives it, gives this gives us gives this rivalry that appeal that you know i think could capture a lot of you know people's you know interests as yeah as i said kind of the way that you know roger federer and, and rafael nadal have done over you know the last uh, decade plus hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Yeah, they've got two, you know, distinct personalities and it's quite obvious, I think, just from their characteristics and their body language on on the court and off the court. Um, not to mention the fact that they both play amazing tennis. So I think it just has all the dynamics that you need from, yeah, like a, a very meaningful head-to-head. Um, so I'm really hoping that we see a lot more of them together. And just kind of talking, another point I think this makes this uh, rivalry just fascinating is that, you know, I, I think a lot of you know, rivalries we've seen, you know, players are like different parts of their career. And, you know, in the men's side, it's kind of like, you know, we talk about this battle between the next gen and kind of like the old gen or, you know, the 30 plus gen or whatever. Um, but, you know, with this rivalry, this is a this is kind of like a same generation rivalry. This is like, you know, Sissipas and, and Zverev and you know I, it's kind of you know for me it's this it, is a rivalry that yeah is going to have that longevity because you know these players are you know they're a similar age they're on a similar up curve and you know they're almost kind of still you know nearer the start of their, their tennis careers and you know I think that longevity is kind of you know key to why we kind of you know the, the, you know there's going to be interest in this versus those rivalries where it's kind of like you know just like you know someone who's 30 plus versus someone who's <laughs> you know younger or whatever maybe that's not so much. maybe across generational rivalry isn't could it ever be so much of a rivalry because it's normally mm. one player you know is on their way out so the other player they wouldn't have the chance to play a, as many times but I think they're both significant in their own way aren't they as to what they would provide the tennis fan and the viewer yeah. so you can take you know different different elements from both whether you're seeing <laughs> Federer against Zverev or you know Federer against Nadal um they each offer their own kind of unique unique insight I suppose <laughs> yes um yeah so yeah very interesting uh all four 
Andreescu uh, Osaka matchups. And yeah, who knows? Maybe we will see them face off in the WTA Shenzhen finals um, uh, in the you know in the month in the month to come. Um, but for now, we're going to take a quick ad break, uh, and we'll be back with our mysterious player. Okay, we're back. And it's time for Mysterious Player. Uh, this week, Kim, I've I've delved into the rankings list for a player who I think has a, a colourful past. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see if you can get them or if you know if our listeners if our listeners can get them, because I think this is a I think this is a tricky, a tricky customer. Okay, um, I'm intrigued. Please <laughs> commence. <laughs> okay. Right, first clue. I was born in the year 1981. 1981. Okay, so they're 38 now. So same age as Federer. Okay. Right, yep, next. I reached a career-high ranking of number three in the world. Number three in the world. So it could have been like a, an almost made it. Like, did they win a slam, I wonder? Maybe they got one or something. Okay, next. I retired from tennis in October 2010 when I was still ranked number nine in the world. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, must have been possibly a bad injury then. Uh, so they would have retired when they were 29. Hmm. Fairly young. Okay. Uh, I've got no idea at the moment. Next. <laughs> I have reached two Grand Slam finals. Two Grand Slam finals. Two single singles Ooh. Grand Slam finals. Ooh, okay. I don't know if it's a WTA or ATP. Mm. I was thinking Nikolai Davidenko at one point, but he didn't Ooh. get to any Grand Slam finals, did he? Um, um, and I, yeah. I think his highest ranking was probably number four. Um, oh gosh. Uh, oh, next clue, please. I won gold at the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Oh, okay. Oh, Elena Dementieva. Yeah, yes, yes, it was Elena Dementieva. <laughs> oh, was that clue that, too easy? Well, or was I know that, it wasn't. Oh. When you said gold at Beijing, like Rafa won the male gold, and it's a singles uh, player. But I, uh, of course. So of course. Ah, but when she retired, didn't she? Was it because of injury or did she go off to have a baby or something? I no, don't know. I think it was I think it was injury. Um, um the other clues I had were <laughs> I mean, this was a bit more of a subjective one. I am known for my very distinctive grunt on court. Or her terrible serve. I mean, I think she just <laughs> her sli- was very her unreliable. It was, always, it was always it was always a slice to serve. Yes. And her mum um, always looked so anxious watching her <laughs> in the stands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my two other clues were: I am considered one of the most talented female players never to have won a Grand Slam. Oh. And the final clue was: I single-handedly won the Fed Cup for Russia in 2005. Not only winning my two singles matches, but the doubles as well in a 3-2 defeat of France. Oh. Um, but yes, Elena Dementieva. So well done! I give you that. Very good. Um, yes, not too bad. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, let us know. Did you did you get that? Did you get that the same same clue Kim did, or did you get it before? We'd love to hear from you. And if you've got if you've got any ideas for a mysterious player, please let us know. Um, 
because yeah i'm i'm always keen to we're always keen to kind of rack each other's brains um with cryptic clues from payers players from the past and present so joel i think let's move on let's go back to some results and news that have been happening in british tennis this week and last week Heather Watson has surprisingly reached the final of the <laughs> Much to everyone's surprise. Um, Heather Watson reached the final out in Tianjin in China, which is her first final in, I think, over three years. Uh, she couldn't go all the way, sadly. She lost in straight sets to Rebecca Peterson, who, you know, to be fair, is much higher ranked, um, number 59 in the world. Uh, so 6-4, 6-4. I mean, it was a bit frustrating because it was a rain-delayed match. I think they moved it indoors after a long rain delay. No one was able to go and watch. <laughs> no. It looked absolutely dead yeah. on the uh, on the stream. And um, Watson was actually a break-up in both sets, but was kind of immediately broken back. And yeah, Peterson came through in the end. But really promising for Heather Watson that she's finally managed to put some form together. Yeah, and I think she, yeah, that um, her results this week means she's back into the world's top 100 and um yeah it's an excellent excellent tournament um you know i think you know she's had you know good run of form obviously you know she's had i think you it's fair to say she's had more downs than ups this season but i'm hoping you know obviously as a british tennis fan that you know this kind of you know rediscovery of form um you know can she can use that um you know for the you know for the rest of the season and, and kind of pick up more you know ranking points because you know, I was not I was not expecting Heather Watson to, you know, get to the Tianjin Open final. You know, she came up against um Chiang Wang, the I think she was the second seed, you know, in front of her home home crowd. And you know, I literally woke up in the morning, looked on the ATP WTA live score app and she she absolutely obliterated her in front of her home crowds. <laughs> so like three in love. No, three yeah. in love. Yeah. And she hadn't beaten a top 50 player in almost two years. <laughs> I think I, I was, yeah, flabbergasted when I saw that. And then she then went and beat, um, well, she beat Magdalene and saved match points in that one. So um, some really good wins. Like really, you know, that was a tough match against Lynette in the semi-final. She won... Mm. Seven five six seven seven six, so three hour long match, saving match points. Um, and actually, surprisingly, this was Heather Watson's first loss in a WTA final. Her previous three titles, she well, she won the fight. Her previous three finals, so yeah, that's a pretty good stat, really. You know, she, when when she's on it, she she's on it. Mm. So. Yeah, so uh, yeah, very good, um, very good from Heather Watson. Um, moving on to the men's side as well. Um, just catching up from last week, uh, Dan Evans is the new British number one. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we uh, thought that was inevitable, like pretty much all season, <laughs> didn't we? It was just kind of a matter of when, maybe not if. I mean, it's sad because Kyle Edmund has kind of had a very shocking run of form lately he's gonna be out of the top 50 um he lost early gosh what tournament was he playing last week Beijing uh, Tokyo yeah he I think he lost he lost to a he lost to Shardy in the first uh, yes round. that's it yeah um and today in Antwerp where he is well Kyle's the defending champion he's already lost to Norbert Gombos who's not even in the world's top 100 um He's lost, so obviously not oh. going to be defending his title in Antwerp. Um, 
Edmund started the season number 14 in the world. He's going to be out the top 50. Whereas Evans obviously started the season outside the top 100. Well, he was outside the top 190. And he's, well, 43 yeah. in the world. So um, they're going, yeah, they've gone. Dramatic turnaround. <laughs> yeah, they've both gone in opposite opposite directions. I think I think I was kind of reading with Kyle. I think he's looking to try and reconnect with his uh with his coach whose name escapes me from a few years ago that kind of got him up to you know top 20 in the world and uh, you know I think he needs obviously he needs something like that to kind of get him back to playing like he was but um yeah at the moment Dan Evans crazy to consider you know 18 months ago you know getting a suspension you know we were you know we were having conversations on like is Dan Evans going to even play tennis again mm, um yeah and and to kind of see him get back to you know back to where he is now playing great tennis um you know week in week out on the ATP tour um it's just yeah this is just a, it's just a great story and you know we're big obviously we're obviously big Dan Dan Evans fans and it, I think it's interesting because you know come Davis Cup you know, is 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 Dan Evans and, and Cam Nomery are they are number one and number two? I I because Kyle Evans' form at the moment. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't play Kyle, would you? What? Not not he's got no confidence, like no match wins. So you'd have to go obviously for Evans and I mean, I'd put Andy Murray in there or Cam, but I think even Andy yeah, would be a better option. But interestingly, as well, a few days ago, um, Dan Evans announced he's now working with Mark Hilton, who only three weeks ago stopped working with Kyle Edmund. So it's like, I've taken the British number one ranking. I've taken your coach. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It might feel a bit like a bit, I don't know, odd for Edmund, but I mean, they had already stopped working together. And I think mm. Dan Evans has previously worked with Mark Hilton before. So I think he wants to reconnect and it's just going to be on a trial basis, I think for the next couple of tournaments. Um but yeah, uh, one of our listeners, uh, Cameron Taylor, he um, he actually kind of uh, sent us a long list of Dan Evans's coaches. He's actually had throughout. I know a lot of players work with a lot of coaches, but looking at this long list of of Dan Evans's coaches, he's worked with about I don't know ten, twelve different people in his in his career. Um, previously, had worked with with Mark Hilton back in two thousand and seven, and then two thousand and sixteen as well. So. Um, I think with Mark Hilton, he was that was when he, you know, had that really good run at the US Open, almost beat mm. Stan Wawrinka. So, obviously, wanting to reconnect with someone that he felt was a very promising partnership for him, and um, yeah, let's hope it's it carry he carries on going, going onwards and upwards. And yeah, and moving on, uh, we have had other kind of British results uh, this week. Um, Jamie Murray uh, did well um, in Shanghai, got to semi-finals with Neil Skupski. Uh, they lost to the eventual champions, uh, Pavic and Suarez. Um, but also in um, kind of up and coming uh, British players, Fair, the Fairfield challenger in the United States, Jack Draper, uh, came up against Jack Sock, Battle of the Jacks, and uh, yeah, won it in, in three sets, which again, very handy, very handy result. We obviously know Jack Sock, um, you know, was, was well, yeah, former years, Masters former, champion, I mean, for, doubles former top champion, double slam champion. Yeah, he was like eight in the world, yeah. won the Paris Masters, has won Grand Slam doubles, you know. Um, so, yeah, really good. Well, it was probably the best win of Jack Draper's career, I suppose. Mm. 
And then I think he backed that up by winning against Donald Young. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Which is so, also a pretty um, nifty win. I mean, these are the players that he needs to be beating if he wants to to make moves in the tennis world. So really promising. Yeah, so very, very, very promising. Um, yeah, so keeping an eye on Jack Draper. Who knows? Maybe next season he will have a few more kind of bites at the cherry on the ATP um, circuit because, you know, I think at the moment, I think he's like, you know, the highest ranked 17 year old in terms of kind of the world rankings. So um, yeah, be excited to see what he can do on the ATP tour. Um, but yes, let's move on. We've kind of got a little bit of a new section that we're trialing out. We've tentatively named it the bulletin board where we just kind of round up any other news bites um, we've heard from the tennis world over the last two weeks. And I think kind of the best of the rest um as I kind of like to put it, is Naomi Osaka has um, decided to take sole Japanese nationality over um, you know, US citizenship. And I think, you know, the kind of the backdrop to this obviously is the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, so she actually holds a US passport and a Japanese passport. But I think the the eligibility rules to play for Japan in the Olympics means that she's had to basically renounce her US citizenship and give up her US passport um like according to Japanese law though people with two nationalities have to choose one um before they turn 22 so she's turning 22 in a couple of days so happy birthday in advance to Naomi Osaka <laughs> from the passing shot um and of course we all knew she was going to represent Japan at the Olympics you know she represents Japan you know when she's playing so she's had to do that um uh, but yeah, that's that's the first item on the list. I'm just picturing when you say bulletin board, Joe. I'm picturing like a nice cork board and like pins with bits of paper yeah, stuck I, in. I, I like think a that's nice what I'm trying to go board. for. Yeah. <laughs> but if if any of our listeners have a have a, a tennis related name for this section, feel free to uh, feel free to let us let us know because as I said, <laughs> tentatively titled uh, bulletin Sounds board. Sounds like a business meeting. Um, <laughs> anyway, next item on the agenda: uh, Marin Cilic is going to have a baby. He announced that him and his wife are expecting. Very exciting. And talking of babies, Kevin Anderson had one last week. Uh, well, his wife did, Kelsey. Uh, Kira O'Neill uh, joined the family on the 27th of September. Very nice. Um, bit of sad news for any Victor Estrella <laughs> Burgos fans. He's retired from tennis. Um he, I actually saw him play against Rafa at the AO I think, last year. Oh, yeah, in, in the first round, he's quite tenacious. He's quite short, but he's very like tenacious. Um, well, I, yeah, I think the most the in, most interesting thing I could find about him was he is he is known apparently as the the king of Quito. Um, is he Ecuadorian the, then? Quito uh, no, is the so of Ecuador is it not? Yeah, so. He has won the Ecuador Open three ah. times. In he won it three times in a row, um, and he basically did it from like you know not being the top seed or any sort of kind of mm. you know, one of the you know the favourites. Um, so he seemed to love playing. Uh, seemed to love playing Quito, but yes, um, he. I think um, he's from the Dominican Republic, isn't he? I think yeah. so. Yes. Ah, okay. Yeah, and actually, I mean, he's thirty nine years old, so yeah, he's he's been getting on a bit like <laughs> so when he actually won those Ecuador Opens he was the ATP's oldest first time winner in the Open era because they were his his only ATP titles 
out in keto. So yeah, very good. Um, and he represented his country in the Olympics in Rio. So um, very happy returns to Victor Australia Burgos in his retirement. <laughs> <laughs> but talking of retirement, we've um, had a player who has tried to reverse a retirement. Uh, former world number nine, Joachim Johansson um, yes. is attempting a miniature comeback in uh, the Stockholm Open next week, playing the pre-qualifying tournament. But it's a bit strange, Joel. He um, he had a wild card into the qualies, but he's given it up. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, so he, he was in the pre-qualifying tournament this week, won, um, won all his matches. And I think he won all his matches in straight sets. Um which I think gave him a wild card or en- you know, entry into the qualifying draw for the Stockholm Open, but he's uh, he's basically decided to give it up. I think from reading the reports, I think it was, he was basically saying, "Oh, I'm really happy with my tennis, but um, I just I just don't think my body is able to kind of keep up." Um, so I don't know if this was just kind of a flashing plan, just kind of see you know how he could do. But um, I just thought it was quite funny because yeah, Joachim Hansen, uh, you know, I think he got to the semi final of US Open one time, beat maybe beat Andy Roddick on the way. I- but he is only 37, time. so he's actually younger than Australia Burgos. And obviously, Kim Kleiss is coming back. She's, what, 36? So I'm hoping the same thing doesn't happen to her. Um, we'll see. But but yeah, so a bit of a shame for him. Um, but I think that's pretty much it from from the last week or so on the tennis circuit, from us anyway. I think we'll be back in a couple of weeks to recap all the latest tournaments uh, in Europe and also to look forward to the WTA finals out in Shenzhen. Um, so I guess until then, thanks very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed um, catching up with us and please do remember to follow us, uh, like us, subscribe to us, give us a nice rating on iTunes. Uh, we're on all social media at Passing Shot Pod. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can find us on all of those. So please do um, send us your thoughts, any questions, any comments, We always love to hear from everyone who's listening. Um, So thanks very much. Enjoy the next few weeks on the tours and see you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.